arise with the need to dream. To dream and to drift on a sea of imagination. His is another reality, another world. He is the child who must follow his own voice. As I sit, Welcome to Dignity During a Pandemic. No one left behind. My name is Megan Vanderdeusen. And my name is Wen Chan. And we'll be your hosts. The Dignity During a Pandemic podcast is a community project of the John Humphrey Center for Peace and Human Rights. This podcast is part of our YEG Dignity campaign, in which we engaged with the lived experiences of folks in our community during a global pandemic to open dialogue about the impacts of COVID-19 and how each of us navigates the struggles that surface and find hope and strength during these challenging times. In this week's episode, Wen talks to Rosa Januski, an organizer of Food Not Bombs Edmonton, and a frontline worker and volunteer working with people sleeping rough and those who are houseless in Edmonton. Stick around to hear how Rosa's work and her own insights from her experiences shape what dignity means to her. My name is Rosa Januski. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a member of Food Not Bombs Edmonton, as well as a community support worker at Expo Center. Awesome, thank you. So especially through this time, I can imagine how, how much more difficult and how much more nuanced it might be to be working in, in the Expo Center where you're working directly in the front lines. How's your experience with that been? It's been really interesting. Um, It's been hard at times to see the way that people are experiencing homelessness and experiencing the pandemic. Um, Sometimes it's really heartbreaking to see the way that people are living their lives because you're trying to help, but you feel like there's not much you can do and you see people uh, declining, but you have to try and do your best to be there for them anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I think this kind of ties back to dignity a lot. Has your understanding of dignity shifted through your work? Um, I think that I'm realizing more like what dignity is. uh, And when I was thinking about this before the podcast, um, I spent some time considering what dignity is. And I feel like dignity means uh, to be respected and to be able to respect yourself. And the thing that I was thinking about was that um, you can't have dignity if you don't have your basic needs met. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like there's like social needs higher up on the pyramid and then you've got your basic needs, physical needs at the bottom. And you need to have your basic and physical needs covered before um, you move on into social needs, like higher level things like dignity. So if we want people to have dignity, we have to make sure that they have a bed at night, that they, uh, you know, have their own home, that they're able to get a job, get health care, those things. I think that it's been really interesting to see the way that the city has responded, uh, both like in terms of the city government and, and in terms of social workers and other people who are just regular people, um, because we actually are seeing a, uh, a stronger recognition of the dignity of human beings um, during the pandemic. We're seeing more of a collective mentality and uh, you know, an actual gesture to try to change the way that homeless people are treated 
through the Expo Center and uh, the Kinsman Center. So I think that um, the way that people have been treated during the pandemic has actually been better because everybody realizes that this is a virus that doesn't discriminate and that means we need to take care of everybody. Mm -hmm. And that makes me think about like what really has to be at stake for the government to start making changes. Like it shouldn't have to take a pandemic to respond to people living rough. And with the response we see now, it's still not enough in ways with actually dealing with the root causes alongside meeting those immediate needs. I also think that the narrative often constructed about people houseless or living rough is that they're more dangerous, they're undeserving of help because of quote-unquote bad choices. And this is really dehumanizing and puts the blame completely on the individual for their situation. And like those bad choices are a lot of times means of survival. So with your experience doing a lot of this frontline work and anti-poverty work, what do you see that might have to shift to change this narrative? I think that um, a lot of people need to come out of their bubbles and realize that homelessness exists here and in a lot of places and that it's very real and that they're human beings. I think that a lot of people are extremely desensitized and kind of ignore the fact that homelessness exists. And uh, when I was talking with somebody about this issue, we were discussing the fact that people don't understand that they have a civic responsibility to each other. Um, a lot of people think it's okay to just like exist in the way that they're going about their lives and just do what they need to do without hurting anybody. But the important thing to realize is that you need to go beyond not hurting anybody. You need to realize that you have a responsibility to other citizens and that you need to be doing your best to make sure that they're taken care of as well. Yeah, I find it really, really amazing how you've been pouring so much of your energy and heart into the work you do at the Expo Center, but not only that, but also with the work you've been doing in the community with um, Food Not Bombs and other organizing work you've been doing. And I, I think maybe that kind of ties back to, to doing the right thing in ways, like you mentioned, it's not just about not harming people, but actually trying to tackle those injustices and do whatever you can to help out in the ways you're able to. Um, so, I feel like I've done uh, good work in in that people have come to me and said that they have appreciated what I've done. Like the other day, um, I was just working in the sleeping area and a member of the community came to me and he was just chatting with me about what I was going to be doing after. And I told him I was looking for work because I don't know what I'm going to be doing after Expo. And he said, I just want to let you know that you've been uh, wonderful to us that you have really you know taken care of us and uh, you've expressed that you you know you you care um, and so the fact that somebody would come to me and let me know that they appreciate what I'm doing makes me realize that I'm making a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm, absolutely and how has your work with uh, Food Not Bombs been been shaping your understanding of, of people and, and the homelessness issue in our city? Um, I think it makes me realize uh, one of the most important things is how 
easy it can be to actually go out of your way to help somebody. Like Food Not Bombs started as uh, a group of five friends in my apartment several years ago. And now we've grown to 50 people with thousands of dollars of funding in the bank and the capacity to feed uh, multiple families. So I think that uh, people need to realize that, you know, yes, it's going to be time consuming. Yes, it's going to be emotionally draining to help people, but it is feasible. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it's a very realistic thing to do to join the movement um, to defeat homelessness and create a better world for people. Mm -hmm. So a lot of your work has been underground, on the front lines, helping directly with people facing these things. How do you see that tackling the broader systemic issues of homelessness, um, like austerity and classism and sexism and it goes on and on, but how do you see that intersecting with the work you do one-on-one -on -one with people and on the broader system? I think the most important thing about people um, acting on an individual level is that it's going to encourage them to, well, first it's going to help them to understand like what is going on. It's really important for them to do that individual work because uh, they're able to understand who these people are and what they're going through first. Uh, and then it will encourage them to try and push for systemic change because I'm somebody who has an understanding of homelessness as a systemic issue. And while I really, really appreciate the individual work that people do, the important thing is coming together collectively to build a new system where homelessness doesn't exist. Uh, so I think, yeah, the, the two things there are, uh, showing people what the reality of homelessness is and then uh, giving them the spirit to encourage them to participate in building a new system. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this question really fits, but the work that you've been doing, it can be really challenging and heartbreaking and it really tugs at you in a lot of ways. Um, what brings you to go to work every day? Um, so I think that one of the most important things is uh, it's, it's, it connects to something that I use to cope with my own mental health. I, I, I call it little things. Uh, so I have my own mental health struggles. And so one of the coping mechanisms I use is focusing on the little beautiful things in life, like crossing the river or spending time with friends. Um, and so I use that coping mechanism to deal with the way that work is. Um, when I worked at Boyle Street, uh, I had a friend who, we were close there and we worked together a lot and we were honest with each other about how we were feeling. And sometimes she would say to me, oh, you know, this space is so depressing. And I'd say, okay, well, look over there. Look at, uh, you know, this guy with a guitar. Look at these this family who's laughing and hugging um look at uh you know these people playing cards you have to try and focus on the beauty of the community the beauty of humanity and you know the the good things that do happen because yes 
a lot of what's going on is painful to see uh, and to experience, but, but not all of it is. Sometimes somebody is playing a guitar and singing beautifully. Sometimes, uh, you know, a, a lot of the support that I've had has also come directly from the community. Sometimes, um, you know, a homeless person will see that I'm not doing well and they'll let me know that they care about me. Like, uh, you know, once I was having a really bad day uh, and this man that I know came up to me and he said, uh, hey, beautiful, I just want you to know that your lipstick looks really good and I hope you're having a good day. And that that's the sort of thing that pushes me through to continue. Um, I don't think that without, I think that without that coping mechanism, um, my work would be very, very difficult, but being able to see the beauty in those people and um, the way that they live their lives, you know, the, the good parts of it is what gets me through. Yeah, like oftentimes homelessness is um, pictured and framed as something that's all dark, but there are those beautiful moments, as you've mentioned, those little things that that like tie us together, that everyone feels, everyone feels those things that bring happiness to them in different ways. Has um, the way community interacted with each other in your spaces pre-COVID times versus now, have they developed in different ways? So I think that the most important thing in regards to this question is um, the way that people at Expo have learned to get along. Um, I remember early on, uh, you know, people were talking about how difficult it was to have people from so many different spaces coming together. Because the thing to understand about Expo is that a lot of agencies came together to produce one space. So we had Bissell Center people, we had Boyle Street people, we had Mustard Seed people, um, people like both social workers from various agencies as well as community members from different, uh, like who had used different services coming together. Um, and the really beautiful thing that happened was these people, both the social workers and the community members, um, but specifically the community members, figured out how to live together because at first uh, it was very difficult for the community members from Boyle Street and Bissell and Mustard Seed to kind of accept that they had to share territory. Um, like there was, you know, somebody joking about like, oh, that's the Boyle Street quadrant over there. Like all the Boyle Street people were hanging out in one quadrant. But over time, um, people started to realize that, uh, you know, we have to share this space. This space is for everybody. It's not about Boyle Street people. It's not about Bissell Center people. It's not about Mustard Seed people. It's about all of us utilizing these services. And, you know, not everybody, like, they, still there are people who don't uh, understand that they have to share the space and that makes it difficult sometimes. But the majority of people are peaceful and realize that, you know, that space is not just there for them, it's for everybody. Uh, and I think that's also beautiful is seeing that uh, people who were hostile to each other at the beginning and who didn't really want to get along um, have sort of come along to get together and share the space. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's not about um, feeling like entitled to an area. It's about the, the actual work that has to be done and the joint and shared effort that has to go in. 
Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to share? Um, I think just an emphasis on the understanding that uh, this is a systemic issue um, and that we need systemic change. Uh, I kind of would like to end with the message that while I'm really proud of the work that I've been doing and that a lot of people have been doing, I think it's wonderful uh, how people have come together during COVID to help the homeless community and, and to help each other uh, is not enough. Um, and the government is not taking responsibility in the way that it needs to to ensure that everybody is taken care of. Uh, you know, we did talk about the beauty of um, the homeless community and the way that they live their lives, you know, seeing the little good things. But we also need to remember the reality that, uh, you know, homelessness is a, is a very traumatic thing for a lot of people. And sometimes um, people die because of it. And we need to remember that it's not that far away to end homelessness. Uh, Medicine Hat has ended homelessness. Cuba has ended homelessness. There are lots of other countries which don't really have um, homelessness as an issue because they have engaged in systemic change to ensure that everybody has a home and has the supports that they need to not end up on the streets. So we just need to remember that it's possible to end homelessness um, and that's going to require the government taking responsibility for taking care of the population. Thank you to Rosa for your contribution to what our individual, collective, and shared humanity needs. We produced this week's show on a Miskwichi Wiskaigan, also known as Treaty 6 Territory and as Edmonton, Alberta. We recognize land acknowledgements are only a small part to engage in ongoing reflection, practice, and action against the legacies of colonialism that impact us today. For full transcripts of this interview, or to view past projects of the YEG Dignity Campaign, please visit our website at jhcenter.org. Thank you to our funders, the City of Edmonton, and the Family and Community Support Services Program, who made this podcast a reality. And thank you so much to CJSR 88.5 FM for airing this podcast. Although we can't directly interact with you, our fellow listeners, it's always a pleasure to have you engage with this podcast and find your own connections and reflections. Please feel free to let us know your own thoughts and feelings about anything that surfaces for you as you listen to this. Until next time.